Listener Production. Hi, this is Paul McIntyre. Welcome to the MI3 Audio Edition. I've been a business journalist for 25 years covering the marketing, media, agency and tech sectors. In this series, we talk to industry leaders about the global and local developments that you need to be across this week. Well, this conversation gets to the core of what's keeping everyone up at night, or at least riddled with either angst or what-ifs. It comes down to what makes a great and prospering client, authentic and productive partnerships right through the supply chain, and how the hell all that works in the next round of change for remote and office work. The pressure, as we know, is everywhere. Clients are under the pump. That gets passed on to partners like agencies, and then that gets passed on again to their partners like media companies. So for a real-world and possibly even fearless conversation today, we have Tom Dobson from NAB's Executive Operations Planning and Partnerships Unit, Mindshare's famous and outgoing CEO, Katie Riggs-Smith, and Foxtel Media's CEO, Mark Frayne, for what we could call a full and frank supply chain conversation about the problems and solutions for troubled partnerships in this new work order. Did you see what I did there? So welcome to you all. Looking forward to this one in a big way. It's been hot on everyone's lips and minds and everyone remains troubled. Mark, Frank, to you first. You've been having a number of conversations in the market uh, in the past month or so about this very subject. What are the biggest problems and frustrations you're seeing? And and some examples, um, if you've got them, Mark, and welcome. Thank you. Um, Yeah, I think coming back in 2022, there was a a view that we would leave everything in 2021 and come back refreshed and energised and ready to go. And the first part of the conversation in 2022, unfortunately, that that wasn't the case. Kind of 50% of the staff had a holiday and the other 50 were in isolation and came back more exhausted than they left. So that was kind of problem number one that I think is is still rife right now with the challenges we're seeing um, in headcount in the office day in, day out. And it kind of prompted the the next level of conversations with industry leaders around talent shortages, um, vacancy rates, resources on business, and what that led to behaviours in and around the industry, and some of which are poor behaviours and some of which are good in terms of those leading from the front and taking on a different leadership lens. And I think there there are some businesses that really understand that context and work within it and you're still working with high levels and trust and partnership and then there's there's some businesses that maybe don't follow that same ethos and their behaviors to fix their own problem um, are pretty aggressive and and I, I talk about media companies that fix their resource issue by paying significantly more for talent going after one company, not getting one or two people, but getting like 10. That kind of behaviour has been rife, certainly towards the end of last year, but that's continued this year. So that's probably some of the the really poor stuff we've seen in the first two or three months of this year. Mark, in terms of um, those behaviours you talk about, you gave an example there. How is bad and what does bad and good look, look like? at the moment in terms of uh, partnerships and how, how the relationships go up and down the food chain, if you like. Um, w- what is troubling you there? What we're seeing there is, in the good sense, everyone across the supply chain have, has got an understanding of the genuine challenges that each businesses are going through. And we, we jump jump on kind of calls like this with Katie and Tom and talk about 
business problems that could be solved through marketing communications. Now we get on these kind of calls and talk about actually how do we fix some of the training challenges we've both got? How do we share in training programs where we can actually divide and conquer as opposed to trying to do it on your own? Because quite frankly, you can't in this day and age. So I think that's where we're really seeing the benefit of those partnerships, where there's a real shared belief in fixing the problem, shared belief in graduate training programs and really upskilling our talent, particularly in the digital space, as opposed to just going to buy it and steal it from someone else, which is the, the reverse scenario. And what, what percentage of the, in those conversations, Mark, uh, what percentage are um, aligned with that uh, that worldview and that approach uh, versus sort of the, you know, the aggressive and bad behaviours? Um, where, where does it land? And there's probably talk and walk as well there as well. I think that's the biggest. I mean, it, everyone speaks about it. So I'd say 100% of people believe they're kind of doing it. Um, the acid test is probably more like 50-50 at best. Katie, um, before we get um, to your observations around um, current partnership pressures, um, you framed the phases we've been through since COVID really well uh, when we had a conversation last week, particularly around Zoom emails and the work from work from home blur. Um, just give us a little lowdown on that, the, the, the big cycle that we've been through um, and how people have been feeling through those cycles. If I, um, if I look at it through the lens of partnerships in particular, both through the whole industry, I feel like we've gone through almost three distinct phases, as in we went into 2020 when we were all thrown in lockdown. There was this huge amount of empathy. You know, I was on the phone to people like Franny and Tom going, are you okay? They were checking in on us. We were in each other's living rooms, blasted at all times of day. And there was a lot of gratitude as well. Like I'd get clients just calling me out of the blue going, your team have been amazing. They've changed their plans 44 times for me. So there was just this real, we're all in it together. Then I think we kind of went to the middle of this COVID last two years, and there was almost an expectation that everyone was just going to be able to sit at their computers day in, day out. You could just put a meeting in with someone at seven at night and not even have to check with them. There's no travel time wrapped around meetings, so there's an expectation that you'll just always be able to meet with someone. And I think that that leads to an unsustainable workforce. And now we're coming into this final stages of now navigating a hybrid and and um, virtual world. And so there are new behaviours that need to be established and we do have to get back to a cadence of where people have time in their job to get their job done and, and all of those things. And so the partnerships and how we've all navigated together has been the most fascinating thing and in many ways has brought us so close. But, on the, you know, then, yes, there are some bad, bad behaviours that we need to rectify. The, the novelty might be wearing off a little. Um, so today then, Katie, um, where are the pressure points specifically uh, with people and with partners up and downstream for Mindshare? Because you've got clients like Tom, um, who's a benchmark client. We, could have, we, have to, we have to say that publicly. But then you've got downstream clients as well, where is, you know, Foxtel Media is a good example and, and what, what Marks uh, and his team are doing. So the pressure points for the media agency for you, um, what do they look like today? You know, I was having a really big think about this and I realised they're actually no different. This is controversial to say that actually the pressure points are no different than they were three years ago. We're always looking for people. We're always looking to deliver for clients. There's always going to be short term, except they are so exacerbated now for everything Franey said in that we're in a stop start world. So we get some great rhythm and momentum going and then someone gets COVID and they have to down tools the next minute or their family do, et cetera. And we're working with really waned energy levels in March. 
when we should be coming in with loads of energy. So the actual pressure points are the same, but the backdrop is, is a lot more difficult, which means the usual tips and things you used to be able to do to rally staff are different now. The usual conversations you used to have with clients are different now and you have to lean into it in a different way. So are the behaviours, the pressure points are the same? Are the behaviours different or more exacerbated, if you like? Is Tom a good guy? He's amazing. And I'm not just saying that because he's on this call. But I, I think that the biggest behaviour I've noticed that we've had to have is is absence of fear. So the client partnerships that are going really well and, and media and partnerships, et cetera, is when there's no fear in telling them that someone has left, that they want to go home because they haven't seen their family for three, two years and we don't have a replacement today because we simply don't. And the absence of fear in talking to a client saying those things you needed, the team can't get to, they can't get it all done, so what can we prioritise? I think that's been the biggest step change and the partnerships where you can have that honest conversation are coming out. They're going to come out better than the ones where you're, you're sort of scrambling behind the scenes and not being as authentic with each other. We'll get to Tom very soon, but Mark, do you see, do you feel a sense of uh, trepidation in, with your clients? Katie saying absence of fear, call it. Is there, is it different for you in terms of dealing with some of your customers and clients? Yeah, I think there is this um, prioritisation, reprioritisation and reprioritisation again. And that level of um, comfort that things are changing at breakneck speed. And, and I think we've got to be pretty frank here. Some things will fail given the speed that we're kind of working at. And I think Katie's kind of bang on with that point. The same on our side. Um, we're all kind of moving at speed and things may not always turn out as brilliantly as we expected. And you can try and solve for that in the background or you can front up authentically and go, do you know what? We're running at 10% vacancy rate. We didn't have everyone all over that. Um, and you know what? That conversation just deepens the partnership in terms of kind of trust moving forward. Um, like no, nothing worse than a, a bad surprise late. Yeah. Katie, you do talk about being fearless. Make the call. Um, make the call early to, if there's, to, to Mark's point, people missing or people away, out, gone, can't get something done. It's, it's an early call. That's part of what you talk about being fearless, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's expectation management. Some of the best advice I've ever been given from um, uh, James Ledger, a relationship consultant, was the day someone resigns, call the client, like within an hour. Have no solution, have nothing but call the client because what we keep doing is sitting on problems till we've got a solution and we may get an amazing solution, but we've still waited four weeks and the client's like, you don't trust me. You haven't told me anything. I haven't had time to deal with that person leaving. So more than ever now, it is call it early, make the call early and have the difficult conversation. Uh, Tom Dobson, it might be instructive. Um, welcome to, by the way, great to have you on. Um, it might be instructive to shed some light, really, on on the pressures that you and your cl colleagues on the client side uh, uh, are hit with. Clients are often, I hear it a lot. Clients are often seen as the villains here uh, in terms of protests around demands and expectations, unrealistic sometimes demands and expectations that are put on service partners. Uh, they can get quite loud. Is that reasonable? And what's your take on all this? Welcome, Tom. Thanks. We want to be a client of choice, having empathy for what people are going through. We probably on the oversharing side, I think we do share the pressures. Um, we've got fierce competition in our industry. We've got the vacancies too. But I think, Franny, you were saying before, everything is just so hyper-scrutinised. So the reporting we have is in real time. Stakeholders expect real-time results. 
So the optimization cycle's been squeezed, especially in important channels like search, for example, if you look at that as an extreme one. We really have to be, we're looking at those all the time and people are expecting responses from us. We need to talk um, to the agency and we need to have a really quick response back to either set their mind at ease or talk about how we are going to change the direction, you know, to drive the applications, the appointments, um, the open rates. We're looking at these things. It's incredible. We can use media mix modeling and things which we use with, you know, Mindshare. This is just, there's so much information that we're sitting on all of this and we've got to really distill it and get insights out of the observation. So, Tom, when you talk about wanting to be, I think you said, client of choice, what does that mean? What does that look like? And what is it required from you? Well, no, firstly, why do you want to be a client of choice? And then what does that look like? What's it required from you and your organisation to change to, to, to meet that, that objective? We want to be a client of choice because we know that agent, any agency, whether it's a media agency or creative agency, has a large team of people. Those people move across accounts you want to have the best people on your account. And if you're doing good work, doing good results, your campaigns are interesting and challenging and the people working on it are really going to gain new skills, that's what's going to drive it. We don't want to be the client that people are avoiding or that we've gotten stale. I would say they, they're just in, in NAB are definitely a client of choice. It's one of those ones that we do have no trouble recruiting for. Um, and also why you want to be that client of choice is because when NAB did the brilliant jab campaign, that, that was really quick turnaround, right, Tom? My team were on high. Like they were just so excited to be part of that. They did not care what it took to turn that around. They were emailing the whole company with how excited they were by it. And you do that for clients that you're in it together and who are always have gratitude but respect and affirm but fair, you know, NAB tell us when we're not doing the right thing and we respect that too, but they're always grateful when we've pulled out something for them and it's really, it is really rewarding to work on that. So listen, trust, um, trust all of you talk about it. You've mentioned it and we talked about it in our, in our conversation last week. Um, why is it so lacking? Um, what does good look like uh, on this front and trust? And I guess, you know, we've seen a little bit of it here between um, the three of you. Um, but, and what are the practical ways uh, it can be built or indeed rebuilt? Katie, um, trust, why is it lacking? If it's lacking, I think it's because we're no longer seeing each other in person. I don't think you build trust over email. I don't think you build trust even necessarily over virtual. I think you build trust by meeting people or having a phone conversation with them, um, et cetera. And so, you know, they, it's almost gone into hyperdrive or overdrive in the last couple of years where you've had to go the other way and make sure rather than emailing, I'm calling clients that interrupting in the middle of their working day as opposed to just dropping them a note because that's how I think you continue to build that trust and then it's also just what you're willing to share with them and how authentic you can be. Tom, trust, you know, you, you're big on this, right? In fact, so so much so that you might have got an early call from Katie on her uh, move up the up into the world order. We know you're still smarting over that, but you're the, you're the journo, we're the client. No, we really recognise the level of trust that was put into us by having the heads up about um, from Amy Buchanan and from Katie in person about you know the plans we sort of stepped finished that teleco that was a very short teleconference but it was amazing to get the news and we sort of went gosh this is this is hot news we've sit, sit on this yeah yeah got to sit on it we felt like I mean we don't want people like Paul finding out <laughs> exactly but that Katie that's it but that's a very easy way to share news like that um, you know communicate you know really quickly to your partners 
and trust them to, to keep that and um, to process it. And if they've got questions, we, we were given the opportunity to ask questions. It wasn't a five-minute thing. It was very open um, to ask questions about what you'd be working on and what that meant for the agency. Wow, that was and that was great. And all the people we work with um, at the agency, we, you're, you're, you're really trusting them with campaigns. I think every, whether it's a creative agency or a media agency, you are sitting on really hot creative plans um your we don't know what the other banks might be doing so we we really do put a lot of trust you underestimate how much trust there is especially when you're talking about millions of dollars worth of media investment that really has to pay off yeah and we'll get to that um very shortly um mark trust uh what what um what does good look like for you and 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 why is it lacking there's a couple of parts on trust from a media owner perspective i think Pre-COVID, there was always um, a media owner speaking directly to a client was something that caused anxiety to agencies, um, and that certainly kind of kept them up at night. And I think actually during the COVID period, if, if you're relatively good at what you're doing from a media owner perspective, I think that has completely dissipated. So I think actually the trust across the triumvirate of client, agency, and media owner for those good partners has actually probably grown kind of during this period but that's that's not the not, not the same across the board i think the interesting part of a lot of the team or zoom calls we've been on is kind of like we are t- today often you're in someone else's kind of lounge room so there actually has been a a bit more of a deeper understanding of who the person you're actually kind of speaking to i think that if that trust now um and this is the point of not sure why it's lacking but why it can grow you take that insight that we've had as a collective over the last couple of years into a face-to-face meeting, I think that's that gets really exciting about what we can all collectively achieve because the last two or three years, to be brutally honest, have collectively been about solving problems, some of our own and some of each other's. But now we actually get to move on with a, with a great trusting relationship and actually do probably possibly some of the best work we've ever done. So apart from from mindshare, Mark, what what are you? What would you like to see? What's the, what is what is the ideal from some of the other um, agency groups and agency partners that you you um, work with? What's ideal for how they shift um, their mo with uh, Foxtel? Yeah, I think it goes back to certainly earlier involvement. I mean, you mentioned it at the outset, um, the media owner or publisher tends to be at the end of the food chain. And if the client's given a late brief, the one we get from the agency is even later. And therefore, those best in practice trusting relationships. I've seen more examples recently where we're actually all getting the brief together, um, which kind of, I think, is great for all, reduces the workflow, reduces the amount of time that people have got to either rewrite the brief and put it on a mindshare template than a NAB template. Like, I, I just working together earlier in the piece saves everyone time. And I would dare say, I'm not sitting here with a kind of data platform behind me, but I'd say probably most of the best results have come from working in that way. How do we, but how do you break the, the this this sort of um, cycle of un, uh, unrealistic expectations that can sometimes come from client to agency to media or all at the same time and internally 
uh, with with clients. They've got their own um, unrealistic sometimes expectations on them to deliver, and sort of just gets passed down the food chain. Um, how do you break that? And that's to 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 or maybe start with with you, Tom. How, how does that bro- how does that get broken? It's difficult because the briefing thing is a really good point. I think there's just not enough time to waste reworking conversations these days because of what we talked about before this, the hyper scrutinization and the cycle getting squeezed. So the cycle can get broken very easily if you're, if you've got the creative agency, the media agency and some partners not briefed at the same time, you're not in the same conversations and you feel like um, information selectively shared and um, that's where it can get broken. Katie, unrealistic expectations? I, I actually think it's just about sitting down and going, does this need to have 90 slides on a PowerPoint or are you going to be happy with an email that covers off the bullet points? That he, so Actually, it's just back to expectation management. It, this is what we can deliver. The thinking is going to be very good however long or the thinking is proportionate to the time you've given us, but this is what the output looks like and agree that up front, then, then everyone's fine. And if you've been given enough time, you will do the 90 slides or whatever it is you meant to do. But for me, it can be really easily broken by an early conversation saying, what do you really need from us too? Do you actually even read that document or did you just want the executive summary? Let's get to probably the, the, the one that's underpinning and creating lots and lots of tension everywhere is this whole new scenario now of work from work from home, work from the office, resource and and culture. There's lots and lots of tension here and we and we're all we all hear it. Um, where is that headed? Uh, Mark Frayne, I think you know uh, a good example is uh, you know maybe a quarter of your your team now have been onboarded um, through COVID. Um, that presents challenges right? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it does in terms of kind of learning the job. I mean, going back to that old adage, kind of get in, get in your chair, start learning the job. Pretty hard if you're sitting in your own lounge room or your bedroom kind of learning it. So definitely that created an enormous amount of challenges. But on the on the flip side now, the, the willingness of those people to come back into the office and you know what? Meet their manager, meet their team. Um, meet the broader business. Maybe it is easier for us, I'm not sure, but the the sales culture is one that really works well together when you're all kind of, you're hitting your targets, you've got that sense of energy and camaraderie. So most of the people that have come in the office in the last kind of few weeks, they, they've been desperate to get in. Like they've kind of been camped up at home. I, I want to see the people, I want to share um, in the success we're all having. So so I think we've we've got a good chance of success there. Well, it's 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 interesting you say that, right? Because I think you know creative types too are of, of of the same view that creative people, uh, salespeople, getting together and feeding off each other, and it, it all works. But Tom Dobson, your CEO at NAB, um, came out. <clears throat> excuse me, last last week I said, uh, I think he said, you know, basically we need people back in the office for culture. But the tension there is that and there's lots of people pushing back, going, you know, I want flexibility. I don't want to be told what to do. And <laughs> how you manage that. That the, the the public utterances of we need and want people back in for the betterment, um, but there's this whole you know different narrative out there which is pushing back on that. Um, what's your read? Oh, look, I think it's a genuine. We're genuinely trying to bring people together to collaborate, right? So the days that you're in the office is when you're with your teams, you're sharing, you're coaching, you're learning from each other. I agree with what Franny said before: less problem solving, more innovation. We spent so much time you know, solving problems, now's the time to innovate. And I think to do that, genuinely, that requires people to be in a room. We recently had a 
um, a session at the agency and people were just shocked. We were sitting there in person and we covered in three hours what probably would have taken eight hours very painfully over Zoom. Um, we had one session uh, with Navagare we used to work together with the agency to get feedback. I think we were really lucky between Melbourne lockdowns last year. I think we might have had one session. And I remember that because it was very productive because we were all there. We could walk around, face each other. It didn't feel as... Um, you know, as disjointed and impersonal. And um, so, yeah, there's pushback. But um, just for me personally, we do engagement surveys and the two biggest pieces of feedback I just received today or yesterday was that that some of the challenges with working from home, yes, there's some benefits with hybrid working, but a couple of the challenges were lack of social interaction with colleagues and being able to collaborate with colleagues when remote or when working in a hybrid fashion. So for my team, clearly they've called out those two things as something that a couple of days in the office would go a long way to fix and would also build that connection with new people who started as, you know, the Foxtel example. Katie, um, for you, that that tension of the loud uh, resistance, if you like, to um, wanting to come back and or being told what to, to become in or have to come back in, the flexibility notion uh, with the upside of culture and actually just p- probably just doing better work because you're eyeballing and conversing. Um, there is tension there, right? And, and I don't know if you get it in your business, but certainly <laughs> across across industry, all industries, we hear this. This is this is the the grand point of tension in in this discussion. What, what do you see? I think we've been really lucky, and it could again be the age profile of the agencies that we all work in. But we've had a lot of positivity of coming back and um, getting amongst the culture, etc. I think the difference of what, and, and credit to Amy Buchanan on this, um, is that we've consulted people on how they best want to structure coming back. So she's we've created Strive programs which allow us to talk about flexibility for individuals, flexibility for your team and flexibility for the agency. And you build out your own personal version of flexibility that everyone agrees upon. And so people are really happy because they're like, great, this means for me, I come in three days a week and I see my team and I collaborate. But on those two days, I work from home. Or this means for me, I come in five days in the office for a certain period, but I'm home by a certain time in the afternoon. And as long as clients' needs are being met and the team understand where each other's pressures are and how they're going to, how we're always going to be able to put clients first, they're actually, they've been really open to it. And, you know, the thing that breaks my heart is there are young ones coming through the industry that have never lived the agency life and the energy. And, and, and I mean, across our whole industry, the dynamic nature of it. And, you know, one, one person said to me, like, on a Friday, I closed my laptop having worked for that agency in my living room and the Monday I opened my laptop started working for Mindshare in my living room and I'm like like people stay in our industry because of the culture agencies all agencies we build it upon the values and the culture and you need to be amongst each other to feel that and we will only have an industry that survives if we can bring that magic back together I'm happy for it to be a hybrid version of magic and flexibility is absolutely paramount but the magic needs to come again with all those uh, personal preferences in your business um, for what flexibility looks like for the individual, can you really get it aligned to everyone else's preferences and the uh, the organisation's preferences as well? Is, have you have you struck gold on that yet, Katie? And maybe talk to your personal preference uh, in how you work day to day. 
So what we had to do first was the agency's prefer- the agency's need for when people had to come in. So we have cultural moments in the agency where I, my leadership team and I outlined, you, we all need to see you in the town halls in person and the afternoon social drink, whatever it is. So we, we agreed those. My personal preference is that I don't want to sit in traffic because I find it a real waste of time. So I prefer to be in the office from 10 till 2, collaborate, meet, I don't really want my laptop with me. I just want to be amongst people talking and doing what we need to do. And then I work the fringes at home because I can actually just sit down and and power through my work. That's how I like to do it. And then I I log back in late, late at night, um, which is my own own thing. Um, But at the moment, what we're finding is that just by everyone having the discussion, you would be shocked. Most people have a window of a few hours every day, which is the same. Most people in the teams are finding that once they knew the rules for the agency, once they knew the rules for their client, you know, this client needs us to be at this whip on this day. We need to be with it. Once they mapped that out, they could they could quite easily tailor things to, to suit their individual preferences. And it is an iterative discussion. As we said to them, we need to check in with you every month for however long to see how this is working and what do we need to do to keep refining it. And this, the, the result so far is goodwill, is it? Yeah, absolutely. We've had, like I said, I keep going, I keep going to the office every day just at pockets to see everyone and, and do that. And every day there are different groups in, which is really good, lots of energy. But they are getting the times when they do want to be at home to work and do that really focused desk time. They, they, they really do feel like they're getting the best of both worlds. And I've got to be honest, if I was coming through the industry at that age, I would have loved that too, to have those moments where I wasn't a slave to my desk and I wasn't a slave to the office and I actually had a day where I could do something at home as well. Um, so I, I, I think the workforce of the future, if we can get this right, is going to be in really good hands. Mark Frank, can a, can a, a sales organisation um, work that way too or is it got to be a little different? No, I think we've got similar demographic of people. So no, I think it can definitely work uh, and we're seeing the signs. Like to Katie's point, I mean, everyone's got, there, like Tom was saying, Tuesdays, we've got a number of kind of key anchor days during the week for everybody, for the sales team, for the integration team, for the traffic team. So everyone's got their their pillar and their milestone for the week that brings a different um, energy through it. And going back to kind of Katie's point, I think personally, even being in the office yesterday, I, I came out of my office after a another team or a Zoom's call and kind of Toby Dewar on one side and, and Marty from the other. And it's like, Franny, like almost, and Toby was like, I think I was first. So they both kind of came together said, right, and we, and we walked to the kitchen. Feels like such a simple thing, but we walked to the kitchen and Toby went, oh, actually, Marty, good if you hear this. And we kind of, we addressed one of the things. We got to the kitchen, Marty kind of spoke, and I reckon that might have saved 60 minutes of teams. Yeah. Like, and, and I yeah. think... That's that's one example of 180 that could happen through our business. So I think it's going to be similar for the industry at large, to be honest, if we can get it right. So in the room, not Zoom. I think we talked about that last week. It sounds like it could be a bit of a trend. It's a great phrase, but I think the one thing that I certainly have learned, yes, there's a balance of working in the office and work from home, but I don't think there's anything worse than half the people on Teams and half the people in a board meeting. That is a, a, a boardroom. That is a, a disaster. It's We're all in face-to-face, or we're all on Teams. I, I think that, that's one of the things that I've learned that, Tom, we're talking about kind of creativi- creativity and innovation. That is a hard meeting set up to be successful. So I think if 
if a few people are on teams, you know what, we're all going to be on teams or we're all going to be in face-to-face. I think that that feels like a, a discipline that we're certainly going to push through our own business. So as we wrap this up, guys, um, the new ways and experimentation, we've sort of covered covered uh, a lot of it already, but is there um, what what is considered possible? What are you considering that you may not be doing now? Is there any things on the horizon that go, we should try this? An example being, I know through COVID, and I don't know, it clearly hasn't landed, I don't think yet, but at one point when um, you know agencies and uh, indeed in some media companies are looking at setting up possibly even suburban hubs, if you like, rather than necessarily coming in. But is there, is there, is there some um, sort of moonshot ideas about where you would like to trial, play with to see what was possible? Katie, with you first maybe? I think just office fit-outs. That's my big thing. So whether that's a, sub, a, a suburban one or not, but just actually we've got rows of desks with rows of computers and a couple of meeting rooms. That proportion has to change. And you, you come in and it should be massive number of meeting rooms, collaboration points, all of those things, and a scarce area where there are desks set up to do work. I, I feel like that's got to be where the step change for the future of working from spaces is going to be. Mm, Mike Frayne? Um, I think probably the thing for us is just to challenge some of the notions of where where the head office resource has to lie like traditionally it's always been in sydney or it's been in melbourne if you're a melbourne-based business but i look at the the opportunities potentially of talent in 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 perth if we ever see someone come out of perth hopefully soon yes (laughs) i I just I, i think looking geographically at where we might have pockets of teams that we wouldn't have thought about i wouldn't have thought could we have 15 people in kind of Perth running a dynamic trading team. Do you know what? We might just do that in the next couple of years. But previously, it's like, no, it's got to be in Sydney. It's got to be at the headquarters. I think we'll look at the location of where people um, are working from. They'll still have their anchor days in the office, but um, I think there's flexibility of where they can actually be in the country. Uh, Tom, in terms of NAB and what's what's possible, moonshots? Creating a culture that's inclusive and diverse and I love that idea of people being able to work anywhere making hybrid work making genuinely everybody feels like they're getting the flexibility um, the collaboration the coaching because every leader will get the same feedback on you know I'm not getting enough um, you know I need some more feedback from you it's it's very difficult to get that feedback if you're not striking the right balance between um, observing people in person seeing how they interact so I think we've got to do um, a really good job of keeping that culture energetic and making sure people, when they're in the office and when they're together, are really finding it valuable. Um, Mark, I want to finish the final question with you, and it's a, it's a, it's a hypothetical really, but um, in your wildest dreams, uh, what does an ideal partnership look like uh, in a year or two across all your, um, you know, with your partners and your media agencies and, and advertiser clients? Wildest dreams, what, what, could it, what is the ideal? Um, I think we've, we've kicked it off already in terms of solving kind of problems. Like, and they are, the reason why I mentioned that about wildest dreams is they're authentic in terms of, right, can we break some new ground well, have you not have you not already got all the answers? And and it goes back to that um, confidence of actually saying no, we haven't, but together we might be able to kind of crack them. And that's I mean that's very different mindset for our industry because everyone's already got the answer or a strategist has got the answer, but admitting that we haven't got the answer and then solving it together is a really rich space for partnership. And I think we've kicked off some of that last year, but doing that with a, a lens of innovation. 
would be a great outcome in the next couple of years. Yep, good point, good point. Um, I'd like that too because I don't have answers either sometimes. It's incredible, I know. Really? <laughs> yeah, I know. Tom, final question. Tom and Katie, you know, it, it's, a, it's, a great, it's, a great, it's a great one, um, what, what Mark just said, but can you see that culturally landing within your, within your organisations? Because that, that's sort of almost like um, requiring a, a non-solution from the get-go. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I absolutely think it's possible as long as you always come in with a point of view that you don't have to have the answer. I don't ever expect people to, but I always want someone to have a point of view on what a, a gut feel or have looked at something. So to then all work together to come up with a better answer is absolutely what we should be doing day in, day out. And I think to Franny's point, um, what we've gone through as, a, as, as people in the last two years has brought us closer together. So if we can't keep doing that, then we're in trouble. Culturally, Tom, final one for you. Can, can, is, it, is it possible? Not having, the, not having the solution straight up. Yes, I think we've proven that we can work um, flexibly and work through issues um, with the, the tools, that, the collaboration tools that we've got um, online now are extraordinary. I mean, we couldn't have done this a few years ago and um, everybody at NAB's been able to, you know, be able to work from home and collaborate using online, you know, the virtual whiteboards and things like that. But I do think the innovation um, is going to really be driven from a couple of days, a bit more collaboration in person with people and also coaching and learning from others. Mark Frayne, Katie Rigg-Smith, Tom Dobson, um, great conversation and, and, and timely, necessarily urgent even, um, you could say. Thanks for joining. Stay safe. Thank you. Thank you. This MI3 Audio Edition was presented by Paul McIntyre. That's more. Producer Nick Slater. Music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to listener.com or download the Listener app and search MI3 Audio Edition to listen for free. Listener.